lifetimes of listening. For whatever reason, when I was uh, in my late teens, early 20s, I got into blues. He played everything from Bach to Boogie Woogie. He really loved playing the keyboards. I guess it's just one of those things that's always kind of uh, persistent in life. It's the fact, you know, you hop in your car, radio comes on. Music in those ways became a great outlet. Like, this makes sense. And I, and I kind of, yeah, I, I fell in love with him through his music. Lifetimes of Listening. Welcome to Lifetimes of Listening, a podcast that seeks to understand why music is important in people's lives. Today we're going to hear stories about how music helps connect people together in relationships. The stories are taken from more than 150 interviews that we've conducted and placed online for you to enjoy, study, or find inspiration in. But before we begin, uh, Dan, have you ever had a song that connected you closely with some other person? I would say that's happened <clears throat> numerous times in my life. The, the one that comes to mind is that when I was a kid and was uh, dating a young woman named Susie, she's probably called Susan by now, <laughs> but as teenagers, she was Susie in my high school. And uh, we became very close over a couple of years, <clears throat> and somehow the pop song that popped out at me when Susie and I were dating was... Um, Cherish by the association, if you know this. <laughs> so for the period of time that Susie and I dated, which was a couple of years, I guess, when we were 16, 17 years old, we'd go on a date, I'd come home, and before I could go to bed at night, I had to go into the stereo in the living room very quietly because we didn't have headphones. And I would take the 45 RPM version of the association singing Cherish and very quietly listen to my song about that made me think of Susie before I could go to bed at night. So that song has always been about my teenage uh, relationship. And uh, whether the song meant that much to her, I don't know. I just know for me, <laughs> was, it was all about was me and song. Susie. So uh, that's an example of that from my end. Yeah. I, I have a, a song that connects me with, with uh, my wife, Ashley, that, uh, which is um, Joshua Radin's Brand New Day, which is a, a, just a song about new beginnings. And we both um, found each other in, in uh, midlife, and, and uh, this song spoke to me immediately, and it was one of her favorite songs, and I learned to play it on guitar and sang it for her and things, you know, and things like that. So it, it became, and so now it's my ringtone. I keep imagining at some point in the, the podcast episode, we're going to hear that song playing in the background yeah, because, yeah. It, because it's, uh, it, it's, it's the ringtone that only plays when she calls me. That's uh-huh. how I know that that's the, who, who it is when I hear the, the thing. Well, we've got a special guest we're going to welcome to our uh, program, to Lifetimes of Listening today. Uh, to better understand some of these stories and moments about music and its connections like these that we've been talking about, we've invited uh, Professor Jake Harwood to join us. Uh, Dr. Jake Harwood is a professor of communication at the University of Arizona. He's published a whole slew of articles about music, several of which focus on music's function within human relationships. And there's a chapter that he's written that deals with his, uh, this subject in his 2018 textbook, titled Communication and Music in Social Interaction, which talks about music and relationships. So we'll be talking with Professor Jake Harwood right after this break. Stay with us.
Welcome, Jake. Thank you for joining us here at Lifetimes of Listening. Um, we've asked you to join us because we think that your perspective on some stories that are that we've gathered might be useful, That that particularly uh, stories about music and relationships. And we think that you might have an interesting take on some of those. Um, I know that you teach a class regularly here on music and communication, and I'm um, I'm curious what I and, and I also know that I think your your uh, main research area is music and is, is aging and communication and 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 generational issues. But I, I'm I'm curious how. But you've you've published several articles. You've you've uh, you got got this textbook and and done this course on, on music and communication. How did you get into working with and researching and thinking about music and communication? Partly just because I play music. I've played music my whole life. I'm not very good, but but I enjoy it a lot. Um, and I listen to music all the time. I love music. And I talk to my colleagues a lot about music. I have two or three colleagues uh, who, who are big fans of the same sort of period of jazz that I love, late 60s, early 70s. And so we talk about that a lot. And we talk about live music a lot. And I I was having a conversation with a colleague, and we were sort of talking about how bands interact with each other in playing music and and interacting with the audience. And we sort of said, hey, we should teach a course about music and communication (laughs) as kind of a joke. And it kind of stuck with me. And one summer, I didn't have much else to do. And so I started reading ethnomusicology and anthropology of music and sociology of music. And all of a sudden, it's like... We, we really should teach a course on this. Uh, so it was, in a sense, sort of out of the blue. So you, you've always had an interest in music, it sounds like, <clears throat> but you came at it in terms of your academic expertise was in communications and, and then discovered the, the treasure of uh, stuff to look at related to music and communication. Right, I sort of started seeing these different intersections between what I'd been st- studying academically and and what I loved. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So what sorts of courses do you teach related to this? I only teach one course on communication and music and it's very much an overview. We look at everything from um sort of the emotional effects of music, so the ways in which music communicates emotion, um the social effects, so the ways it brings us together or sometimes divides us. Um some of the stuff I was talking about in terms of how musicians interact with each other. Um, so a, a pretty broad, a little bit on film music, uh, because we have a lot of students who are interested in media. Um, so it's it's very like broad and probably step, steps on toes of all sorts of other people around campus who are, you know, has a little bit of sociology, a little bit of psychology, a little bit of anthropology. Yeah. yeah. It's one of the wonderful things about the study of music is that it connects with so many different parts of life. And I think this is why people who are into ethnomusicology, and I have two degrees in ethnomusicology, kind of feel like they're, they're in a place where they can go any direction they want. Communication, medicine, geography, climate, whatever, it all connects with music, but the common thread is that connection to human beings. Uh, one of the great ethnomusicologists whose book I read and which really turned my life around was named John Blacking. Yeah. Have you read John mm-hmm. Blacking? Yeah. That that music itself is a reflection of human relationship and that and that that's the essence of what this is all about. So yeah, that book really inspired me when I read it about 30 years ago to uh, take a closer look at these yeah. things. Yeah. And and Brian mentioned uh, my interest in aging 
but really those interests are more about how, how pe- people from different groups in society connect or don't connect, uh, and so sort of intergenerational relations. But I'm also interested in inter-ethnic relations and relations between people from different all sorts of different groups, and that's where the ethnomusicology was like, oh my God, you know, how have I not thought about this in 20 years of studying intergroup tension, you know, the, the role that music can play in, in bringing people together. I've skimmed through and read some of your research about music and relationships, but uh, can you, in just in layman's terms, tell us a little bit about how music, how a communications person or perhaps an interdisciplinarian, if that's the better way to think about it. Uh, how, how do you approach music and relationships? How do you demonstrate it? How do you investigate it? My interest in music and relationships probably st- started with a student of mine who took the class on music and communication and came to me and started talking about how uh, she and her mother would listen to music together and and how that was a real sort of bonding experience for them. And so she did a paper as an undergrad uh, where she gathered data um, on parent-child relationships and looked at, um, firstly, just whether doing musical activities with with a parent for the for the from the child's perspective, whether that brought them closer together. And, and then looked at sort of some of the mechanisms by which that happened. And so we ended up publishing a, a paper where we were looking at two primary mechanisms, um, the, the physical synchronization effect of, of music and the emotional uh, synchronization. So we sort of talked about the two ways that mu- music moves you. Uh-huh. Right? It moves yeah. you physically and it moves you emotionally. Um, and and so that a lot of a lot of my work on relationships has come from that perspective of sort of that by moving together with other people, dancing with them, or just experiencing the regular rhythms of music together, that that synchronization is really powerful for relationships, and the the joint experience of emotions, which is builds that's what empathy is, right? And right. we sort of have this virtual empathy if we're both listening to the same music at the same time and experiencing something similar. One of the um, <clears throat> one of the subheadings, I think it was either an article or a chapter of yours that I read, said music um, as a bonding agent. And music, I think you said, was the term social lubricant. Mm. And, and <laughs> what's the distinction there? Bonding versus lubrication, music in relation to what it does to people in connection. Oh, man. I, I, I don't remember that. <laughs> <laughs> well, my sense of it was that music does two things. One, it, it brings us together. It, it puts people, as you say, in synchronicity. And it kind of facilitates human relationship. That if you put people together who are doing whatever they're doing and have them either listen to music together or create and make music together that that facilitates a closer connection in some important ways that can have all sorts of applications i've been in workshops for example about personal matters and personal development and the leader will say let's all sing a song together and after we've done that together there's a way that we work that wasn't there before that music seems to lubricate or facilitate this um uh, easy way of connecting with other people and working through stuff. It's it's very powerful. Yeah, that that 
I, just building off of that and having just cherry picked the bibliography of some of the stuff that you don't remember having written <laughs> ten, 10 years ago, um, there was there was something that you quoted that caught my attention. It was a study that was done about um, children, essentially um, children and empathy. And basically, if they made music together and then they did an activity where one of them failed and the other had to help them, that that they that children demonstrated so much more empathy if they had made music together first, uh, as as a as a building. I I was, you know, when uh, so we here in the school of music we say that we're doing this thing that we know makes the world a better place, and we believe that deep down. But that's literally that's where you get to the nuts and bolts of it. Is like you can say, you can demonstrate in children that if you get them making music together, they become more empathetic, more. Uh, better human beings, you know that that and that that turns me on as a as a teacher and as a as a musician and and uh, anyway I, I I so I, what what did I I just mischaracterize because I I just I, no I, no you, vaguely... you characterized it perfectly yeah I think you're describing this study where where the kids uh, sang a song together um, and they had experimental conditions so there was a group of kids that didn't sing a song together. And then they set up this sort of accident where one of the kids was carrying a pot of pencils across the room, and they set it up so the bottom fell off. And so there were pencils flying all over the room, and they, they observed how much the other kids helped. And, and in the condition where they'd sung together, there was much more helping behavior, much more sense of sort of empathy with the child who'd had the accident. Um, and yeah, I, I, you know, and again, I think the synchronization plays into that. Um, going back to, to your question of the sort of lubricant idea, you know, we, we talk about spending time with other people, right? As, as part of what you do in relationships, let's spend some time together. And, and when you add music in that idea of spending time together, right? Suddenly that time is super organized and regular and you're you're literally experiencing it together because of the the regular rhythmic structure that you're experiencing like you're you're not just spending time together but you're experiencing the beat uh, and and I think I, I think that's really powerful for for two people to experience that together you know the ultimate experience of which is actually playing music with other people where you know, you are synchronized with them to a microscopic degree, yeah. or it's going to sound really loud. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and great musicians, <clears throat> I often comment on, especially in the world of jazz. You could take half a dozen jazz musicians from around the world who have this common language, mm -hmm. put them together, and say, "Let's play whatever with this form and this structure and this harmonic content." And they'll be able to play music together and be together in the same place, even though they may have never laid eyes on one another prior to that. Yeah. It's, it, has, it has a special quality that when, the, when a common language is developed around any, any kind of music, folk music, jazz, whatever, that brings people together in a way that has some immediacy to it in terms of connection and, as you say, synchronization of, of people. It's a fascinating uh, thing to observe. So 
we um, we have been collecting stories from people and and uh, placing them together uh, in the archive at uh, on our, our website and we have a handful of stories that are about relationships and bonding through music and thought that you would be an interesting person to play them for and, and get your feedback to some. So um, the, the first story that I'm going to share with you is by, um, by a friend of mine, Bo Ongley, and he tells this wonderful story of when he, uh, well, I, I'll, let him, I'll let him say it. So this is, this is uh, the story of Bo Ongley. Back in 1977, I met this woman who was became I became very fond of, and she and I um, were, were hanging out one evening, and I believe it was me who launched into a song, just without saying a word about it, just started singing the song, and it was an old doo-wop song by a, a, a duet, a, a couple guys named Don and Juan. And the song was, What's Your Name? And, um, and started singing it, and she just joined in with me immediately, singing perfect harmony. She knew all the words, and it was like we just went through the song without, without stopping and and nailed it, you know. It was just so amazing this new relationship with this woman and and having this thing in common, not only the love of that music, but the ability to actually participate in it uh with harmony, you know, it was just fantastic and and um a very special memory and and uh we we kind of I think both knew at that point we really had found uh, a very special person in our lives. And it turned out I married that woman and have been together with her for 40-some years, and 43, actually. (laughs) And uh, we just had an anniversary, um, uh, what is it now, six days ago. And we, uh, we were at an event and... We uh, sang the song, not on, on the anniversary, but just before the anniversary, we were at an event, and, and we sang the song together again. And we've had a, little events like that throughout the years, you know. Every now and then, it'll come up, and, and we, we launch into the song, and, and uh, usually do pretty well, not always, but, uh, <laughs> but it, it's just so amazing, and it's just kind of a, a foundational uh, stone you might say of our of our relationship so how how does that story fit in with your understanding of of uh, music and communications and relationships we already talked a little about making music together with another person um and and how powerful that is in terms of the the bonding experience that goes on you know i think I'm I'm not certain about about the the demographics here, but but it's possible this song is also a generational marker. Right. The the reason the two of them both knew this song. I I think it was a hit in '62 or '63. I know the song. What's yeah. your name? Yeah, right, yeah that beautiful right. piece of music. Yeah. Yeah, better not sing it <laughs> for copyright reasons, but uh, but yeah. Uh. And so perhaps for them, this was a song from their youth. Yes. Or? Yeah. There would be. That would have been. They would have been teenagers, I think, at the time. 
I think for a lot of us, the music of our teenage years is particularly powerful. It's probably the period where we first became became fans of music, uh, became really aware of it beyond, you know, nursery rhymes and stuff, perhaps. Um, and, and so even with complete strangers, you know, if I run into someone in their early 50s, we can bond over 80s music, you know, in a way that people who are born later or earlier, it's like, you know, the cure? What? Yeah. <laughs> um, so so it's, I, I, I felt like I heard a little bit of that. And, and, you know, the fact that they both knew this song is just a great coincidence. And the fact that she could sing it so perfectly with him, you know, it's, yeah, it's a sweet story. Yeah. They uh, they both sang in a choir with me for for a while, so I, I've I've heard them harmonize before. It's it's been I was uh, so it's especially fun for me. I can imagine their voices uh, in in tandem. Um, but yeah, I I, uh, I there's there's something about um, that idea of having uh, you know having your song with with, with a, a person that I think is is uh, really kind of neat and and. Um, and this is one of the the better, you know. It, it, I, I think for myself as a musician, in every relationship I've been in, it's sort of like, okay, what's going to be my, what's going to be our song, you know? Like I, I, I throw that weight on there, and um, and in some ways, um, my current relationship, which will be my last relationship, I, you know, uh, the song just emerged naturally, and I, I think that there is something about that that is uh, that's really powerful in, in this story. So, and there's there can be a sort of random element to that, which is really cool, where you're just somewhere doing something unrelated, you're not really thinking about your relationship, and then you hear the song, uh, it's like, oh, that. That's yeah. yeah. That's the, that's it. Okay, uh, musical memory number two. Brian and I had the opportunity some time ago to interview a young couple, Alethea Ida and John Malmborg, and they told us the story of how their relationship came into being due to a very interesting musical thing that took place between them. So we'll let uh, Alethea and John tell their story to us now. I'm Alethea Ida, an associate professor at the University of Arizona School of Architecture. I'm John Malenborg. Um, I'm a music composer, producer, and an installation artist. So John and I have known each other for, I guess it was maybe 2013. In the year of 2014, he started to release once a week um, a piece that he had produced when he was young, composed and produced when he was young. So every week of the year of 2014, I was anxious to hear what it was going to be next, what it was going to be next. Um, this experimental electronic music under the John Malmborg project. At the time I was 24, which is I think pretty young, but at, at the time I felt like a seasoned uh, you know, musician. So I decided to go on a 52 week schedule and you know, Alethe and I had already been connected and... Uh, the thing I was most attracted by um, with John, the John Malmborg project um, the weekly release was the experimental nature of it, and I was his biggest fan, I think. Yeah. <laughs> and I and I yeah. and I was buying each one each week, like I wanted on my <laughs> Bandcamp grouping, and I and I kind of yeah, I I fell in love with him through his music. Over time, there was just a mutual shared interest in music, and uh, 
on although we were living on separate sides of the country, we slowly got more and more connected, and uh, eventually, you know, that we began a relationship uh, pretty much out of all that. So, I'm recalling when we interviewed the two of them <clears throat> in Austin last year. We didn't know what to expect from the interview, and the story that they shared with us that 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 their love about their love affair came about as a result of a musical composition that he was releasing over time, a series of compositions. It just seemed like a very special kind of a story to us. Jake, your your thoughts? That's a very very unusual. You know, I hear a lot about people. Maybe this is the sort of extreme version of this, but you know, people who end up together because they share musical tastes in some form or another. They like to go to the same concerts. Um, they like the same artists. They like the same songs. You know, so I think that that idea opposites attract. I think is nonsense, right? We're we're attracted to people who are similar to us, who have similar interests, similar tastes, um, and and that applies to music too. But this is like the extreme version of that, where one of them is actually producing the music, and the other one, I, I didn't get a say, sense of what this music was like, uh, experimental. I, it's been a year, uh, and and John, if you've listened to this, I apologize, but uh, uh, I yeah I, I remember it was a, a um, ambient electronic uh, music, and and it's been a while since I've listened to it, and I apologize, but but you I'm sure you can still find it on Bandcamp, the John Melberg, and uh, and his his name will be in the show notes. So so it was, we'll, it was interesting that she she said she fell in love with him through the music. She didn't say she fell in love with the music necessarily, but, yeah. but she was... It was the vehicle that yeah, got them together. It was the vehicle, and, and you know, clearly this was a very interesting sort of thing he was doing. And and sometimes I think we we love music not because we sit down and listen to it and and, you know, necessarily have that deep emotional connection, but we're like, wow, that's really interesting. You know, some super avant-garde jazz. I mean, Anthony Braxton, I don't love listening to Anthony Braxton. It's atonal, it's often dissonant, it's chaotic, but there's something fascinating about the sound and the progression. Yeah. And, you know, possibly that was going on here. One other interesting thing is that John and Alethea now have gone on to have a kind of a shared career doing collaborative work having to do with music and sound, and architecture, and space, and and they do kind of in, installation yeah. art of some sort that in, that includes all these things from her perspective, from her professional expertise, and from his in music and sound. And they've really turned it not just into a relationship, but, but a real collaborative um, uh, enterprise that, that's that's really fascinating, yeah. That, that combination, I think, of, of music in particular spaces and accompanied by visuals or, or whatever is, you know, when I, whenever I go to an art museum, you know, I wander around and look at the pictures. And, and if I see a room and I hear, like, sounds coming out of the room, I, I immediately go there, you know, because you're going to get something that's richer and, for me, much more yeah. immersive than just looking at a picture. The, 
the third story we have today is um, from a student, Hannah Galligan, who's a freshman here at the U of A, uh, or just became a sophomore, I guess, this week. Um, and it's a story, it's a, um, a, a short example from a, a, a short part of a, a longer story. This is a, a story of her and her mom, a, a musical connection. And I'll, I'll let Hannah tell the story from here. My name is Hannah Galligan. I'm a current freshman here at the University of Arizona. I'm also a student in the W.A. Frankie Honors College, and I'm studying political science um, with an emphasis in foreign affairs, and I also have a minor in French. When I was like between like five and eight years old, my mom and I drove everywhere together. We always just whenever she had the free time because she worked a lot, and she works really hard. Don't get me wrong. It's just... Um, whenever I just drove around with her, we'd always listen to the same songs. She always had this playlist on a CD. And back in with our 2004 Chevy Trailblazer, we would put the CD in. We would just listen to it. And the artist that was always on there was Madonna. I just, whenever I hear Madonna, I always think back to my mom and our little car drives everywhere. I think just one moment that, or one song that stick, oh, like sticks out to me in particular is the song Holiday. I knew the song by heart when I was five. And, you know, I didn't even know how to read or write at that point because, and I just knew all the words and my mom and I would always just scream it with the windows, you know, rolled down and everybody would just look at us and they were like, how does a five-year-old know holiday? And I remember this one lady, we were stuck at, at 67th and Bell and this one lady like rolled down her window and she's like, is that five-year-old singing holiday? And my mom's like, yes, she is. And she was the, that was like literally, I've never seen my mom like so proud at that point. She's like, my daughter knows holiday and yours doesn't. So I feel like songs bring our connection closer together. And, you know, since she works pretty much nine to five and she works midnights too, and she does, she's always staying up late. We never really have a chance to talk, especially when I'm in college. But I feel like just, Reminiscing on those moments, it's just, it makes it a whole lot better. I think my relationship to that song has stayed the same only because it just brings back memories of, you know, when my mom and I used to drive around and just, you know, we listen and just have a moment to just like take a breath. And even though I was in kindergarten, I didn't really have a much need to take a breath because all I was doing was learning addition and my mom was over here coding. And I was just like, you know, maybe I just take a moment just to like have fun, maybe laugh a little. And I think just what's most important is that I listen to that song and I go back to my mom. And that's something that really makes me smile, especially in college, because I'm working my butt off and it's just like I need a, just a, a breather. So, yeah. It's funny that the, the, uh, what, what I talked to you about earlier with the parent-child uh, stuff and that student who came to talk to me about that project six or eight years ago, you know, that was almost on, almost exactly the same story that, that she told me that start, started uh, some of the research on this. Um, it, I, I love the idea of parents sort of training their kids to like the music that they like, you know, and yeah. staying away from the kids' music. So, yeah, my kids were listening to David Bowie and Led Zeppelin pretty early on, uh-huh. and it it paid off. <laughs> paid off, yeah. and yeah, we didn't have to drive around listening to the Wiggles in the car too much. Yeah, when my when my kids were teenagers, I noticed one day that the music that they listened to was Hendrix, Steve Miller Band, The Grateful Dead, and what are, and the Beatles. And they said, "Oh yeah, Dad, all the good music was when you were a teenager," yeah. and that's basically what they listened to. 
And then as I think when they got a little older, then they got into Green Day and, and Fish, naturally. Um, but there was a period of time when my kids were first discovering pop music that pretty much all they listened to was the stuff that I grew up with, which, which was a great, uh, great feeling for me. I think cars are a great environment for music just because you're, you, you're enclosed. There's not much else you can do in a car. And, and it's, it's time delineated also. It's, you know, you're traveling from point A to B. It's going to take however long, and that time can be measured in songs or in music and in a way that music begins and ends and the drive yeah, begins and ends. We probably ends. have 15 or 20 memories in our archive that begin with, oh, yeah, my mom and I used to listen in the car, or my dad and I yeah. would take road trips, and the music we'd listen to in the car. That's the that's the origin. Yeah, there's there there are a lot of car and music stories. In fact, that's uh, we so, someday hope to pull find an episode ar- around this that that uh, gets at some of that because it's it is a it is a powerful place for um, I don't I don't want to call it indoctrination, but I mean, but essentially exposure, I guess, of of, uh, of music when you're when you're young and you're very captive and before you're have the autonomy to choose what your music is, you're you're just riding along and and absorbing the music that is there um and so that's yeah in the longer story there's a there's a um um a version of uh in Hannah's story in the longer interview that she was performing in a a ballet recital and um a 5-year-old boy runs up and gives her a kiss on stage and then she's singing holiday uh, as as she leaves the the building and it's you know it's a whole different so all all of these are are shorter excerpts from the longer stories and I encourage uh, you know people to explore those as well uh, but I I thought this idea of um, uh, a parental relationship because I, I of that uh, paper that you I guess published with a student um, and uh, and this idea of um, of how music brings people together and. And I was thinking of that in terms of, um, you know, I sing songs to my, I, I have a 21-year-old and a two-and-a-half-year-old, so, uh, right. so there's a long story there. But, uh, <laughs> but the, the short version is I, I sing, sing the same two or three songs at night, every single night, as does my, my wife and I, we, we sing. And it's, you know, and it's about maybe a rotation of four songs that we sing at night, every single night. And I just... I, I wonder about this exposure of these same four songs again and again and again and what that does to uh, to a person's taste over time and and uh, and then what what that does to bonding and everything else and how that what, what indicators that might have. I should give credit to the student. Her name was Sandy Wallace. Um, we published a couple of articles to get, together on this sort of stuff. You know, I think the the point about repetition is a really interesting one, right? And music is so just immensely repetitive, absurdly repetitive sometimes, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I think particularly for kids, there's a comfort, there's comfort in repetition, right? That there's safety when some, something's happening and it's predictable and you know what's going to happen next, Um and and I think for all of us, we we appreciate predictability and and repetition. Totally random music is not very enjoyable most of the time. Um, and and so yeah, I think that sense of security is there, and that sense of of bonding that if you 
do it enough, they know the music and you know the music. And so now you know the music together. Right. Now it's shared knowledge. It's yes. special, a little like the, the doo-wop song yes, from the yeah, earlier yeah. story, right? It's shared knowledge. And shared knowledge is super powerful in terms of bringing people together. You've got shared points of reference. Well, um, thank you very much for your for your perspective on these stories, and thank you for your time. Jake Harward, um, a professor of communications at the University of Arizona. Thanks so much for being with us on uh, today's episode of Lifetimes of Listening. We really enjoyed talking with you. I've enjoyed it too. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Lifetimes of Listening. Uh, now, if you haven't done so already, uh, you might want to follow or subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast app. And we hope you'll also consider participating with our project by telling us your story. We are extremely grateful for the more than 150 people who've recorded a story for the Arizona Musical Memory Archive. It's allowing us to better understand the many ways people value music. If you haven't visited our website yet at musicalmemories.music.arizona.edu, please do so. You'll find the full-length interviews of the ones that we have used in the episode today. And when you're at our website, you can submit a musical memory of your own, if you like, as a sound file, an essay, a poem, even an illustration of some sort, or suggest someone you know who you think might want to share their musical memory with us. So take a look. It's at musicalmemories.com. Dot music dot Arizona dot edu. I'm Dan Cruz. And I'm Brian Moon. Thanks for listening. The executive producer of Lifetimes of Listening, the Arizona Musical Memory Podcast, is Brian Moon. The program is produced and edited by Dan Cruz. The Lifetimes of Listening website was created by Cynthia Barlow, Principal Information Technology Manager with the University of Arizona Fred Fox School of Music. Music is from zapsplat.com and from pixabay.com. Special thanks to the Fred Fox School of Music for hosting our website and UA Marketing and Communications for helping us launch this project, the archive, and this podcast series. For more information and to get involved in our research, visit musicalmemories.music.arizona.edu. This is Lifetimes of Listening, the Arizona Musical Memory Podcast. <laughs>